Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from Chicago Reader journalist Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil. Things for you to do like the Chicago Reader coloring book and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and Show your support for the nation's first free weekly newspaper since 1971. Hey guys, how's it going? We're live. Ben, what's up, dude? Oh, oh. <laughs> Caught me off guard. I was daydreaming. Daydreaming and I'm thinking of you. All right, well, daydreaming is over. We got a live well, show to do. Literally just daydreaming, thinking about the bulls, you know. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, March 10th is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. That is correct. The Chicago Federation of Labor are sponsors. That is correct. And the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. For all things there is to know about the city of Chicago, what to do, where to go, where to eat, what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. I mean, I can keep going here, but you get it. Chicagoreader.com. Subscribe. Also, become a bin head. That's what we call avid listeners of this program now. It's true. Yes, you can become a bin head and help support the Ben Jarofsky show. There are three uh, tiers of support you can do for this program. All right. You can become an alley member, a bin head at the alley membership level. I uh, will give you a subscription to the Chicago Reader newsletter, and it's $5 a month. Boom. There's an avenue plan. Become a bin head at the avenue level, and you will be subscribed to the Chicago Reader newsletter. Also, you'll get a $10 discount on Ben Jarofsky's new book, The Greatest Hits, covering 40 years of Chicago <laughs> journalism. You'll get a $10 discount on that at the avenue level for $10 a month. And then we got the Boulevard, Benny Boulevard. That's right. For $20 a month, you can become a bin head at the Boulevard level and you will be subscribed to the Chicago Reader Newsletter and you'll get a free copy of Ben Jarofsky's Greatest Hits book. All right. So if you want to support the Ben Jarofsky show, you have a way to do it. Chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. All right, Ben, you have a song of the day. It's from Frank. Oh, And it's, yay. I think, the best song of the day we've had yet. Better than Bob Dylan? Oh, absolutely. Once upon a time, just so fast, through the buzz of dime in your prime. Sorry. Way better than that. <laughs> okay. Eastbound and Down by Jerry Reed from Smokey and the Bandit. 
Oh, uh, <laughs> I can tell, oh my God, I can hear it, but I can't. Uh, we got a long way to go in a short time to get there. Now we're <laughs> I have never heard that part of the song. <laughs> well, that's the that's when Jerry Reed pulls the uh, the little horn sound on his his rig. What you never seen the movie? I've only seen it ten times. <laughs> I think Dennis has seen that movie, Conservative Estimate, 83 times. Uh, just saying there. Uh, we got a long way to go. Ain't a short time to get there. Oh, that's the. Yeah, we get it. The Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show starts now. <laughs> It is Wednesday, March 10th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, WVON radio personality and co-host of Seton and Buchanan, David Seton. your host chicago reader columnist ben jarofsky hello everybody ben jarofsky here we're calling this redistricting wednesday and here's why well folks the time has come for me to take a stand yes yes no more ducking no more dodging no waffling no hemming no hawing no more on the one hand this and on the other hand that no i must take a stand the issue redistricting <clears throat> First, an explanation. Every 10 years, legislative boundaries are redrawn to accommodate for changes in population. I know you guys know that who listen to us on the live feed, but this is for some of our people who podcast runners up on uh, politics as, uh, as you junkies out there. Ah. The reason you do the redistricting is you do not want have you do not want to have one district to have more representation than the other. So if a district has lost population over 10 years, you have to add people to it and vice versa. Again, one man, one vote. The vote of one man or woman should not have any more value than any other vote. It's a bedrock principle of our republic. What's that you say? The votes of residents of Wyoming have more value than the, <laughs> the votes of Californians because of the Electoral College, true. And because of the Senate, also true, where every state gets two senators, no matter how many people live there. I guess you could say that in our republic, some principles are more bedrock than others. By the way, I say we get rid of the Electoral College. But if we can't do that, let's make D.C. a state, move hipsters from the Bay Area to Austin, Done. Dems control the Electoral College and the Senate. And the wailing cry you hear is Republicans sobbing like the little babies they are. But back to redistricting. Today's Sun-Times had an article about a proposal by good government types to take the map making out of the hands of the city council and put it into the hands of the people, or at least the people who are commissioners of the do-gooder persuasion selected by other do-gooders. Sounds good to me. So that we have a map that's drawn to be fair, as opposed to a map that's designed to protect incumbency. And so I'm asking myself, will I join that effort? Will I join that effort to take the map making, map making of the Chicago City Council out of the hands of the aldermen and put it into the hands of a commission of do-gooders? Well, first, let me say this. 
This is different than the effort to redraw Illinois congressional legislative maps, which are now being drawn by Democrats so they can give themselves the majority. The fair map people want to include Republicans in this redistricting, and to which I say never. Not until Republicans in Wisconsin give Democrats a say in how they draw their maps, or Republicans in Michigan, or Indiana, or Iowa, or Texas, or North Carolina, or any of those states where the Republicans control the map making. In short, any person of the Democratic persuasion who joins the fair map effort in Illinois is a sucker and a sap, and the Republicans are laughing at you behind your back. But fair maps in Chicago, where it's all Democrats, except for one or two, maybe three. You know, Raylo, I love you dearly, but I think in your heart of hearts, you're kind of a Republican. Anyway, should I support that effort? My sense is that it will lead to more power for the mayor by diluting the power of the aldermen who are already in the city council. Of course, the current way we draw maps also leads to more power for the mayor. As we learned in 2011, when every alderman voted for Mayor Rahm's cruel budget, mental health cuts and all, out of fear that Mayor Rahm would use his powers to redistrict them out of existence. So anyway, you look at it, folks, the mayor has more power in the city of Chicago. And you know, all that mayoral power has not served us that well. City of parking meter deal, Amazon deal, Olympics, just saying. So what the hell? If you're going to take a stand, if you want me to take a stand, not that I want to take a stand, but if you're going to make me take one, I'll say this. Keep the system the way it is. Yes, yes, I know. It contradicts the stand I think I took 10 years ago on the same subject, as if anyone's paying attention. But if nothing else, the current system is entertaining. We got a great show today, everyone. David Seaton will be here, co-host of Buchanan and Seaton on WVON. Let me just tell you something. David Seaton is a Democrat of the more moderate persuasion. D, I felt we've had too many lefties on the show. Way too many lefties, starting with me. I'm on the show every day. So I thought, you know what? Every now and then throw a centrist in there. I think I'm bringing Peter Cunningham back too. My dear friend, totally of the centrist persuasion, uh, a former aide to Rom at Daily. But uh, David Seaton will be here uh, at. Change things up a little bit. Oh. Uh, I'll let you announce that. Dennis is like, give the ball to me. Anyway, David Seaton will be here in a little bit. But before we get Mr. Seaton on to talk politics, the young man from Alton. The young man will be in a car heading to Alton in a little while. The young man who all who had something weird happen to his microphone just there. The young man that all Altonians call Dr. D with the news. Hey guys, what's going on? David Seaton. David Seaton. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> Name's Dennis. All right, guys. Uh, big news. Sort of, I guess. I don't know. Uh, tomorrow on the program, something different. I have decided last minute to take a trip back home to downstate Illinois. We're going to end today's show a little early, and I am out of Chicago until Sunday. But rather than take the day off on the live stream, which is what we typically do, we're going to try a little experiment here. Wish us luck. Fingers crossed, guys. I'm going to be lugging my audio equipment Taking it on the road, and tomorrow, if technology allows us to do so, one half of this program <laughs> will be live from downstate 
Illinois. Yes, it's a Ben Jarofsky show. Dennis's Downstate special. <laughs> Honestly, it's going to be the same exact show. I'm just going to be four and a half hours away, hanging out at my mom's house, eating Arby's. Should be a good time. We'll see how it goes. So just a little heads up. We're going to end the show a little early today and uh, so I can get downstate and get everything prepared. All right. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Long lines at the United Center in Chicago right now. What, did Van Halen tickets go on sale? No, of course not. It's 2021. Van Halen isn't that popular anymore. Oh, and also, we're in a pandemic, and people are lining up at the United Center to get vaccines. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the Sun-Times staff. People emerged with smiles on their faces and stickers on their chests after some initial delays in getting people through the front door Tuesday on the opening day of operations at the mass vaccination site outside the United Center. After clearing up the initial jam, which caused some confusion because appointments are required, a steady flow of people over 65 made their way to a tent erected in a parking lot across the street from the United Center. Parking was available in an adjacent lot where uninformed soul or uniformed, uninformed, <laughs> uniformed, uniformed, well, they may be uninformed, I don't know, uniformed soldiers from the Army's 101st Airborne Division helped shuttle people who asked for assistance to and from the site in wheelchairs. About 6,000 shots per day will be administered at the federally run site. A total of about 185,000 people are expected to be vaccinated at the site over the course of eight weeks. There is no on-site registration for shots at the United Center. Several people who showed up without an appointment, sounds like something I would do, uh, hoping to get a shot, were turned away Tuesday morning. Yes. Very happy to hear this report. Very happy to see the pictures on the front pages of the newspapers that arrived at my doorstep today. Very happy that finally, finally, we're making a small step toward progress on vaccinating people in the state of Illinois. I just have to point out that the split in this state uh, still remains. The split in this country still remains. Uh, I want to uh, thank Frank for sending me a picture, which I dutifully sent over to Dennis, of Darren Bailey. State Senator Darren Bailey, and perhaps most likely the uh, gubernatorial candidate by the Republicans to run against J.P. Pritzker, is probably going to win. Well, I shouldn't say that. Right now, I think he's the front runner because MAGA controls everything. Anyway, he was giving a presentation to a group of his supporters downstate. Not a map, not a mask in sight. Here we are in the city of Chicago. People are thronging, rushing to the United Center, waiting in line. Hundreds and hundreds, people showing up without appointments, sent home, got to have an appointment. And downstate, it's like, hey, man, let the party begin, no masks. So interesting, interesting. This country is really divided. You would think we'd be united on the whole notion of the pandemic, but nope, not even that can unite this country. Anyway, so I just have a little observation to make as I anticipate being one of those people in line, D, and I'm not looking forward to it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Looked kind of chaotic to me, but you know what? Man's got to do what a man's, man's got to do, and I got to get that shot. I have noticed this one thing, D, I don't know if you know. Well, you don't hang around with old people, so you wouldn't know this. Yes, ever since we started doing the show from uh, my apartment, I do not hang out with old people. <laughs> oh, touche. That was well done. Uh, he's saying that he was hanging around with an old person when he did the show back at my house. Folks. That is so, correct. 
Anyway, uh, so I, I hang around with a lot of people of the older persuasion. And I've noticed this about all old people. You guys are big braggarts. Yes. Bragging about not only that you got the shot early, but where you got it. Notice this day, it's like elitism shot. First of all, I haven't even gotten a, <laughs> the shot yet. That's how out of it I am. But there's like, yeah, I just went to my doctor's. I didn't have to wait in line. It was just I ushered right in, and there was a nurse, and it really was pronto. Oh, God. I don't have to wait in the United Center line. Man, I got to get in that line, D. I'm a second-class citizen. (laughs) I'll be in that line. I'll be begging. I'm hoping, by the way, that uh, my appointment is still uh, intact, as you recall, the appointment was made. I made the appointment. Then I got an email saying the appointment has been canceled. Then I got a, a second email saying disregard that first email. So the appointment's still on. So we'll see, D. You know, I'm uh, I'm still anticipating getting my shot in a couple of weeks. I'll be one of the thousands waiting in line at the United Center. But you know, I the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what if DB is right? What if the virus is a hoax? What if we don't need masks? What if we don't need vaccines? Why? I'll be as big a sucker and a sap as all those Democrats who support the Fair Map Initiative for the state of Illinois. All right. And Ben, once again, no, the Chicago Bulls will not be there when you go get your bag. It's just, oh, Scotty Pippen's not going to be there. Steve no. Kerr. No, none of them will be there. No. Uh, I just got a text. Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan will be with me. OK, <laughs> we'll be all <laughs> in my mind, my little imagination. My, my really good friends, Dennis Rodman. I call, we, we all call him D-Rod and MJ. We're all going to hang out together at the United Center. You know, get our shots together. I think no, I don't think either one of them is sixty-five yet. So yeah, I got a feeling. Eligible. I got a feeling old Rodman's gonna cancel on you. I don't know. I got a feeling. He'll <laughs> be late. Yeah, something's gonna go down there. <laughs> if I know D Rod, D Rod, and you don't know, late. you don't know him. If and if I know D Rod, you don't though. You've never met him. Well, let's say if I did know him, okay. If I did know D Rod, he'd be late. Hey, more city news. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. This just came out maybe about 10 minutes ago here. Uh-oh. Uh, the, oh, uh-oh. You scared? Okay. If you're scared, go Breaking to, news. If you're scared, go to church. All right. <laughs> the headline reads, Fingers crossed, Chicago aldermen authorized full calendar of special events for 2021. Maybe these these Uh, aldermen were maybe inspired by Darren Bailey too. I don't know. It says here, uh, a city council committee on Wednesday authorized a full calendar of the special events Chicagoans treasure, including Taste of Chicago and the Air and Water Show. I don't treasure those things. What do you say? (laughs) I can't stand here. I can't stand either of those. Uh, Hoping the city's $1.8 billion share of new federal stimulus funds can help bankroll those large-scale summer gatherings. With vaccinations surging and coronavirus cases dropping, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has asked the Chicago Police Department to prepare security plans for, well, Ben, your favorite, Lollapalooza. Oh, yeah. I know. Please contain your excitement and other massive (laughs) events. 
Just this week, the mayor delighted Cubs and Sox fans by, by allowing them to return to Wrigley Field and guaranteed rate field, though at 20% of capacity. On Wednesday, the City Council Special Events Committee authorized the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events to hold the full calendar of, of events it normally puts on. That includes everything from the Taste of Chicago to the Air and Water Show to the Blues, Jazz, and Gospel Festivals. Uh, we have a quote here from Mark Kelly, Chicago's Commissioner of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. Mark Kelly said, quote, we are continuing with our discussions with the fifth floor, the mayor's office. And <laughs> the fifth floor. They had that in like parentheses, mayor's office. The mayor's office. Uh, and, and we are hopeful that there may be in the Biden stimulus bill when it's passed some additional support for arts and culture. I will say that even though we have a 49% budget cut, We'll be making some announcements in the next several weeks that speak uh, to an agenda for arts and culture as we hopefully emerge from the pandemic. Mark Kelly, uh, if you do not know this, is the gentleman who shows up uh, at the concerts Taste of Chicago uh, and he welcomes the crowd to the event. I've seen this guy so many times. Somehow or other, he has survived. uh, I think he was with Ron, put him in there. And now Lori Lightfoot kept him in Chicago, I really love you. Now, T, I'm going to have to uh, take issue with you. Uh, I, yes, like you, I'm not a big fan, to put it mildly, of uh, the air show. God, those airplanes scare the hell out of me. (laughs) Uh, I can't stand that. But, Taste of Chicago, as I've said many times, they have a special geezer night at Taste of Chicago. They like one night where the geezers are welcomed to Grant Park to hear music from the ancient past. Ancient times, D. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, the the air water show, although I don't like it. Okay, cool. Uh, Jazz blues festival, cool. I don't know, an event where everybody's just putting a bunch of stuff in their mouth, walking around in public. Let's cancel that one this year. I don't know. I can't. I, I don't care about. Well, I shouldn't say I don't care about Taste of Chicago. A lot of restaurants are making business, making money out there, promoting themselves. But as part of Taste of Chicago, they have Geezer Night. All right, and I love Geezer Night. That's where all the geezers get together. We see groups from the seventies, so <laughs> it's like old timers feeling young again. That's that's my crowd. Yay, OJ's, Wesley Brothers. I feel young. It's nineteen seventy three, and I'm smoking a reefer. Anyway, so I love Geezer Night. Uh, will there be a Geezer Night this year? Hmm, you're right when you say uh, the city of Chicago is feeling its inner Darren Bailey. So, you know, <laughs> the city of Chicago is a piece of work. Well, they can't get it together to vaccinate everybody. You know, they can only people over 65 now. We don't have enough vaccines. Hey, let's have Sorry. an event where everybody puts their uh, fingers in their mouths and tastes a bunch of stuff. Like, you know, I'm all for trying to, you know, move ahead. But maybe that event in particular, we just kind of, you know. Particularly in the middle of a uh, pandemic, but right. no. Wait, according to the Darren Baileys at the city of Chicago, we're beating the COVID and uh, we'll be uh, triumphant in the summer. So maybe they know something we don't know. But you're right, D. I think there's a lot more support for Darren Bailey's point of view at City Hall than we realize. Either that, it is another giant mix message. 
coming out of the city of Chicago. Still haven't got it together to, to uh, vaccinate the people, the geezers over 65. Come on now. You don't have an appointment. Get out of that line, geezer. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, my God. My beloved city of Chicago. <laughs> you guys are all over the map. No, oh, Ben, it's called planning. We're planning ahead for the summer. Okay. Good luck. Let's hope this. Can we just get through one week at the United Center with the vaccines before you guys start making big plans for summer festivals? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Taste of Chicago. We're all going to share a burrito. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, and uh, uh, let's see. Jim on the live stream chat. Yes, it is true. Lollapalooza is Ben's favorite. He loves <laughs> the chain smokers. And oh, ima- and Imagine Dragons. He loves both of those bands so much. Let me just give a shout out to my dear friend, 35th Ward Alderman, Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Huge fan of the Chainsmokers. Remember he chastised me, D? Remember that? Mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. never forget it. One of the first times I interviewed him on the air. And I was uh, opining that Stevie Wonder is far superior to the Chainsmokers. And Carlos Ramirez Rosa said, Ben, you know, you're coming dangerously close to one of those old timers, one of those baby boomers who says things were better when you were young. And I just think you should have an open mind and appreciate and enjoy the chain smokers. So folks, I listen to the chain smokers and I stand by way. I said, Stevie wonder is far, far, far greater musician than the chain. Smokers. You've, anyway. you've listened to the chain name one chain smoker song, please right now. Uh, I need a I need a camel cigarette right now. Oh, that's okay. his biggest song. Really? Here, it's like electronic music. I need a camel cigarette right now. That was a nice try. It was a nice try. A uh, nice effort of an answer there. And also, by the way, Jim, he loves the Arctic Monkeys. That's his. Oh yeah, that's his favorite band. I got an Arctic Monkey tattoo. Yeah, there it is. I love their favorites. Uh, my favorite song of theirs is um, uh, There's a Lot of Ice in the Snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, Ben, please put your shirt back on. No one cares about your tattoo, uh, and no one can see it. It's No one can see it on the live stream. All right, uh, let's end it out here with one more Chicago story. The following, of course, comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, and it's a story about recreational marijuana. So, listeners, just, I don't know, take a wild guess as to who wrote this piece from the Chicago Sun-Times on recreational marijuana. Hmm. Yeah, that's right, guys. It's Tommy Two-Joint Shuba. The headline reads, states ex-pot regulators polls are cashing in on the exploding industry. A proposed, I can talk, I cannot talk today. A proposed crackdown won't stop all of them. A year after recreational pot sales kicked off in Illinois, legalization has been a boon for the few multi-million dollar companies granted permission to grow and sell weed in a windfall for for local and state governments strapped for cash. But it's also been a jackpot for a host of former cannabis regulators who are now cashing in on Illinois' 
Green Rush. See what he did there? On top of that, Tommy, on top of that, two sponsors of the law that legalize recreational cannabis are also benefiting from the pot industry, albeit through connections to firms operating in other states. State Representative Marty Moylan of Displains has now introduced legislation that would strengthen conflict of interest provisions in the legalization law that aim to prevent lawmakers, regulators, and their families from profiting off the industry. I'll do a quote here from Moylan. Got a picture here in the paper. Looks like a well enough fella. Says here, quote, for far too long in Illinois, <laughs> we have seen public officials abuse the public trust for their own benefit. It is time we enact much stronger ethics laws, especially concerning the growing cannabis industry where a lot of money is now flowing. Moylan, a staunch critic of the legalization effort. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, uh, Shout out to Tom Shuba. This is one of the hardest working reporters I've ever seen. I mean, he's he's like a got a regular general assignment uh, duties as well. D, you know, like he'll be, I don't know, covering all just the stuff that happens on the weekend, press conferences, uh, crimes. I remember he he was the one who had to cover the Rod Blagojevich fundraiser. What a joke that was when Blagojevich was doing fundraisers for the Republicans. Uh, so you know. We, this guy is a hardworking reporter, but he also has the reefer beat, the cannabis beat, and he's always coming up with scoops and exclusives. So, Tommy, great job on this story. Uh, we had uh, as our guest yesterday, Vincent E. Normand, uh, who uh, is an outspoken advocate for getting some of the licenses to sell to black people, which I think is only fair since black people took <laughs> the worst abuse from the war on drugs. And yet I'm looking at this story by Tom Shuba, insiders rolling up the joint income sometimes. Oh, God, with their puns. Uh, Joint income. (laughs) Pot joint. I know. It's like, get it. So I don't know. Are we just going to go through the world just perpetuating the same old mistakes? You know? The same old unfairness and inequity. I thought it was going to be different with J.B. Pritzker and Lori Lightfoot. But apparently these just old habits, old habits are hard to break. So, yeah, for years and years and years, white people been looking the other way. Well, black people got arrested uh, for smoking marijuana, for doing the exact same thing that the white people were doing. And then it's legal. And all of a sudden, uh, it's the white people at the front of the line getting the benefits. Uh, very strange. By the way, David Seaton is calling me right now. <laughs> See, That's what I thought. That's cards. what I thought. I'm about to, I'll send him the invite now. Yeah, send him the, he's calling me. Where are you, Ben? I'm going to do that to him on his WVON show when he's live. I'm going to just call him up on the phone. Hey, David, let's have a conversation right now. Anyway, good job, Tom Shuba. This is a disgrace, state of Illinois. Yeah, I know you're happy making a lot of money selling reefer. And I know it's raising money, which we desperately need, but it's such a joke. It's just such a freaking joke. This state, this city, just these inequities go on and on and on. Makes a guy just want to throw a bunch of pencils around. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, anything you'd like to say here? Ben had some uh, words there. Anything you'd like to say in response? Big problems become big problems when you let small problems oh, sit. I haven't heard that one before. 
All right, everybody, I reached out to David Seaton. He should be joining us in moments. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, David Seaton will be joining us. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment and his attic. Don't go anywhere. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from my apartment in his attic. As everybody knows, I'm a very left of center person, Bernie supporter, lefty with pride. And you know what I was thinking? You know, I get so many lefties coming on this show all the time. I need someone more of the centrist persuasion. Now, I don't think I'm ready to go full out Republican. Just saying, folks, not quite ready for that. But I need to bring out some centrists, some Democrats of the Joe Biden persuasion. And so I said, you know who I'll bring on? I'll bring on the pride and joy of Proviso West, the co-host of the uh, Buchanan and Seton show on WVON. One of my favorite guests, even if we don't agree on everything, we read a lot of things, but not absolutely everything. And so, yes, it's been far too long since this man came on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, a huge Chicago welcome for David Seaton. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for having me, as always. Yes. And uh, it was so funny. I was, I was teasing you merc- uh, mercilessly about f- five minutes ago because you called me. I was on the air. And the phone's ringing. I'm like, it's David Seaton. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call him up while he's on the air at WVON. Hey, David, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about Proviso West. By the way, that's a good segue. Before we get into the questions I have for you, tell folks everything they need to know about your radio show that you do with the great Atiba Buchanan. We have the Buchanan and Seaton Show on WVON, 1690 AM, the Talk of Chicago, on Friday nights from 9 p.m. to midnight. We start, usually start off the first hour with national politics, and we talk about the events of the day for the remaining two hours. It's always a great show. Uh, we get a lot of callers from all over the country, so definitely tune in. All right. Since you talk about, uh, you mentioned national politics, I have a whole uh, list of things I want to talk to you about. Let's start with national politics. We'll hold off on your comments on uh, the royal family for a little while. We'll get into, <laughs> we'll get into that. We haven't, I haven't discussed that at all, by the way, uh, on the show. Uh, I did watch the Oprah interview. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, your thoughts. Uh, you were a big supporter of Joe Biden. Uh, you came on the show and you debated Bernie Sanders supporters on my show a couple times, I want to say. Uh, you held your own, did a good job, I must admit, uh, even though I was of a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, so your thoughts on the first month and a half of Joe Biden's presidency. Go ahead. I think he's done a really good job so far. He's certainly laid down the gauntlet as far as his executive orders are concerned. 
He has really done a really good job of establishing his priorities and setting the trajectory for his for his administration. Obviously, he's being slowed down a little bit because the Republican Senate didn't do any didn't do a good job of pre-approving any of his camp, cabinet nominees, which is traditionally what what happens during the transition. Uh, but he hasn't allowed that to deter or, or retard his momentum. Uh, as you know, the the House just signed the uh, his stimulus package into law uh, in the last hour, and Joe Biden is supposed to be signing it. I'm sorry, they just passed it in the House again, and Joe Biden is supposed to be signing it into law this Friday. Uh, so again, uh, there are a lot of good things in that bill. Uh, again, it establishes their priorities. It, it exposes, again, Republican hypocrisy, which is banal at this point because <laughs> we know we know what they're going to do each and every time it's, it's like a, it's like just reading a, a recipe book uh, they stick to the same formula each and every time but but again I'm very I'm very proud of what Biden has done and, and actually he's everything that he's done to date is is kind of, is why I supported him so early on no uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm with you on this. I like uh, what he's done uh, with the stimulus bill, with the COVID relief bill, the $1.9 trillion uh, bill. And I like the fact uh, that he didn't care if he wasn't going to get any Republican votes. And I feel you and I have discussed this, I think, in the past, uh, that Barack Obama stumbled a bit because he really wanted to have Republican support. Uh, Joe Biden, who was obviously uh, Barack Obama's vice president, has decided it doesn't matter. We're in a crisis right now, David Seaton. This country needs this assistance. This country needs this aid. So with or without me, I'm going. And uh, so no need to get Republican support. There's no need to pretend as though bipartisanship exists if the Republicans are going to accommodate. you agree with me on that? Well, to your point, I think he, because of his experience as Barack Obama's VP, he knew that he couldn't sit around and dawdle. And he knew that the longer that he waited, the, less, the more momentum that he was going to lose, the more political capital he was going to lose. Uh, you know, Barack Obama had, had comparable support, uh, you know, coming in in 2008 when he won. But because the Affordable Care Act took so long to pass, uh, you know, the, it, it allowed for narratives to be created on the right, detractors to get a, a better foothold on their obstructionism. And Joe Biden, I, I sincerely believe he brought that experience to his presidency and figured out, I, I can't give these guys six months. You've got 45 days. Mm-hmm. And we're going to move forward. All right, David, you know more Republicans than I do, so you're going to have to help me out with this one. Um, there were how many Republicans voted to uh, impeach Trump? I want to say seven. I can't remember at the moment. Eight. Eight. OK, wow. Good memory. Um and yet not one Republican will support Joe Biden on this bill. When Ayers, who is a Republican strategist, uh, chided Biden, said he hadn't tried hard enough. I read that quote. I had a laugh. A Republican strategist saying Biden hadn't tried hard enough to get a Republican uh, to support him. I do not understand. Maybe you can. You have to help me on this one, uh, David. What in the world Republicans are thinking? They know their constituents need assistance. They know the towns and states that they represent need assistance. They understand it. They're willing to let the Democrats do all the heavy lifting, pass the legislation, 
A Democratic president signed the legislation, and then they, the Republicans, will campaign against the legislation while their constituents are cashing their checks and benefiting from it. I do not understand the mentality of the Republican Party. Please try to explain to me why they would not support some legislation that they know their constituents need and will help their constituents. Go ahead. I wrote a blog about this in the middle of Trump's uh, administration called Don't Blame Trump, Blame His Supporters. Uh, you can read that blog at seatonspeaks.com. Uh, unfortunately, the bulk of Trump supporters are uh, high school graduates or less. They make less than $30,000 a year. They live in rural America, and they haven't read a book in the last year. That's, that's just the data. So when you when you paint a composite of the average Trump supporter, and let's be let's be candid, the Republican Party is the, is still the party of Trump. But when you paint that composite of the average Trump supporter, the Republican the Republicans know that they're dealing with uh, they're dealing with people who traffic in misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, and they know that in the long run that the majority of their supporters are more concerned about social, social issues. So they don't care. They'll just wait till the midterm and they'll, and they'll run like they have in the past and say, uh, Joe Biden is coming for your guns. And, you know, they're going to make a big deal about the, his agenda and trying to create uh, equality for the trans community, for the LGBTQ community. And they're going to run on the, you know, the budget is exploding and, and, and we're bankrupting our children and our grandchildren. And, the, and, so, and a percentage of them will win. But I, I, I'll make a concession to that point in terms of, let's say, Josh Hawley and Senator from Missouri. But no support from Mitt Romney of Utah, no support from Susan Collins of Maine, no support from Lisa, for Lisa Markowski of Alaska. I, I do not understand. Look, the Democrats went through this whole procedure. We discussed it on the show. A, mod, a lot of my uh, lefty supporters were really upset. Uh, with the Democrats like Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Sinema, the senators uh, who forced Joe Biden to abandon uh, the effort to pass a minimum wage or to cut the allowance that would go to the unemployed from 400 to 300. So the Democrats made these Republican-like accommodations in uh, their legislation, and they couldn't get one Republican support. What I don't understand is why... Why aren't the same Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump taking the stand to vote for the COVID bill? Because they're opportunists. They voted for, you only had those eight Republicans that voted in safe districts. You know, Lisa Markowski is really the only exception because she's coming up for re-election in 2022. But all of the other Republicans that voted for impeachment uh uh, and I'm, just, I'm thinking of the eight from the, uh, from, uh, yeah, from the Senate, Lisa Markowski. But for the majority of the other senators, they don't have an election coming up in two years. So they, and they know that voters have a very short memory. Uh, you know, so again, making that vote was, was safe for those Republicans. Uh, as far as this budget is concerned, you know, they don't care. They don't care. They, they would rather, you know, I mean, look at what's happening in the states. You've got eight Republican states, eight red states that have opened up their economies completely and said, hey, no mask mandate, we're opening up 100%, and, and, and while simultaneously not even embracing 
you know, the vaccine protocols coming out of the Biden administration. So it's just rank hypocrisy. It's like I said, it, it's boring to even say it at this point because we, we know what the Republican playbook is each and every time. All right. So if the Republican Party has absolutely no credibility as a bipartisan entity, if the Republican Party has no credibility as being just like uh, uh, abiding by just your basic common sense beliefs, like you should wear a mask to prevent the spread of the disease. You should promote the vaccine vaccine as much as you can. If they're not even going to play by those rules, why should the Democrats accord them any respect whatsoever and why shouldn't the democrats right now make a move to get rid of the filibuster so the democrats in the senate can pass any legislation they want if you can't expect anything like legitimate bipartisan support objective analysis from the republican party on an issue if they're just going to say no no matter what let's just get rid of the filibuster and have the democrats control everything your response tactically that's a poor move Strategically, they don't need to do it. And here's why. Strategically, if everything goes, if, if we find ourselves in the next six to 12 months that the, that the, uh, the economy has, has recovered because we've, we've given, we've vaccinated 100% of Americans, all of the Americans who want to get the virus or get the vaccine, and the economy is booming again, this $1.9 uh, trillion stimulus has passed, has repaired the economy, Biden is able to, uh, to, uh, to uh, implement his green agenda for putting half a million charging stations out there. He extends the, the tax credit for buying EVs. If everything is hitting in all cylinders and we've got employment growing, then strategically they don't need to change the filibuster because enough people will recognize that, that the Democrats delivered on what they promised. And, we, and again, our national elections are one on the margins. So we don't need we don't need enough. We don't need to get ten percent or twenty percent of Republicans to come to our side. We just need two to three percent to do it, and that will readjust the numbers in the Senate. Tactically, however, it's a poor decision because if you get rid of the filibuster. That's great. We've got fifty plus one plus a vice president. We pass whatever we want. All they have to do is win fifty-one senators and, and with a repealed filibuster, and they can do the exact same thing. So any laws that get passed. Under a Biden administration, as soon as you get a Republican president and 50 plus one votes in the Senate, all they have to do is vote to repeal. So, so because because we're so polarized and because the repeal of the filibuster would just start this, I mean that would that would destroy the economy more than anything because we wouldn't be able to get any momentum with any one direction because you've got to worry about is the opposing party going to win control in two years and either obstruct everything and or overturn what was just passed. So because we're so polarized and because we're not calibrated country first uh, in terms of our strategic goals, tactically, the repeal of the filibuster would be counterproductive. Well, I will just say this to what you said. Uh, If the Republicans, God help us all, take back the Senate in, in 2022 and they're doing everything they can to do that, we'll get into voting uh, the, the, some of the uh, voting rights laws that the Republicans are passing. Uh, but if they take it back, if they think it's in their best interest, David, they will get rid of that filibuster like that. You know that. You know Mitch McConnell would get rid of the filibuster in a heartbeat if he thought it was in his best interest. He didn't get rid of it. He didn't get rid of it under Trump. And Trump specifically told him, hey, get rid of the filibuster so I can get the rest of my agenda passed. And Mitch McConnell knows 
as the as being the majority leader, he knows that 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 wasn't a a wise strategic move. I, I will agree with you that we have no reason to think that the Republicans are going to be fair arbiters. But in the grand scheme of things, even Mitch McConnell, at at Donald Trump's behest, did not repeal the filibuster when they had the votes to do it. So I'm not necessarily worried about them doing that in the near term. Uh, the 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 people, the majority of the people who sit in the Senate have been there long enough uh, that they understand uh, that 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 that, that will ha- that's not the long term strategy for their success. Now, if Trump splits off uh, splits off into a third party, like he's talking about, and creates the Patriot Party, and in 2022 and 2024 we have the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, and the Patriot Party, then all of this is a foregone conclusion because we're going to have Democratic control for the foreseeable future. Because neither a split, a splintered Republican Party into two parties can't win, uh, you know, majority in any state, or least of all the White House. There is no way Donald Trump's going to do that. Uh, when this pandemic is over, I will buy you a lunch at the restaurant of your choice. If Donald Trump do, does that, there is no way he controls the Republican Party right now. He owns them, and. Uh, in fact, he's, I don't know if you follow this, he's going to court with cease and desist letters. He's sending out the cease and desist letters to Republicans. Don't use my name, which is hilarious. <laughs> Donald Trump does not play. He's sending out cease and desist letters to Republicans right now saying, you cannot use my name and my likeness uh, in your fundraising. And, that's how, and, and, that's, and, and those CNDs are exactly kind of illustrative of my point. That's how petulant he is. He tells the RNC, stop monetizing my name and likeness. So I, I'm the one who can monetize my name and likeness. And, and he has every right to do that as, all of it, as an individual, but he's so petulant that if they don't stop, he'll go and start a third, uh, you know, splinter and, and create the Patriot Party just to spite the RNC. Well, I think it would be more likely that he'll primary everybody. So in other words, if you don't, so if like, if you don't bow down to him and say, oh, Emperor Trump, the sun rises and sets on you. I love you. If you don't do that, he'll uh, support some schmo who's running against you in a primary. And then that way, he'll increase It'll have the same effect. It'll have the same effect because... If Donald Trump goes out there and splits the Republican Party, I mean, we already saw that in the in the national election. Joe Biden got seven million more votes, and that was with two parties. If Trump goes out there and splinters, uh, you know, the Republican Party and puts Trump acolytes or, or Trump duplicates, and, and, you know, all throughout the country, then yes, then they'll still lose. But it'll but it'll be you know effectively the same thing. Whether he does, whether he creates a a, a splintered Republican Party. Uh, formally or by proxy by putting up, you know, individuals to primary, uh, you know, conservative mainstream, mainstream Republicans will have the same effect. All right. Fair enough. Looks like you're trying to figure out a way to get that free uh, uh, lunch for me somehow or other. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up with some, well, Ben, it wasn't technically a new party, but it was the same thing. And I'll have the steak uh, sandwich. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, yes, yeah, so I'll have some ice cream for dessert. All right. Um, by the way, I have to ask you this. Uh, is there any Republican out there, you know, that you can think of that you are, you know, you're attracted to that you say, well, you know, I could support him or her. I, I, I can't think of any in the entire country 
Maybe I'm missing, you know, it's big country. I could be missing a few, but I can't think of any. Uh, is there any Republican out there that you go, you know what? He or she sounds pretty good. I could vote for them. Any of them. No, there are some, there are some Republican, there are some Republican ideas. I, there's some of their ideology that I think is, is, uh, is applicable uh, that I think I, I think that's the mistake that we make in our country is that if you're if you're on the left you have to you have to agree 100% with the left platform and there's nothing good on the right and vice versa. Uh, I think that ultimately the the solutions that we seek that are going to create strategic the strategic solutions that we need are going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, and again. So, but but no, as a as a whole, because the Republican Party are so ideologically driven, I can't support any any Republican out there. I, I I can't even see a Republican idea that I can investigate to see if I support. I, I say this on the show all the time, David, that they have s- such a lack of credibility because they throw away with whatever they purport to be their base principles. Uh, whenever it suits tac- their tactical needs. So I can't think of one like Republican idea. I've been thinking about this, like, for instance, climate change. You know, what's the Republican attitude? What's their policy on that? Healthcare. What they all they were against Obama. Obamacare was just basically Romney care. Mitt Romney did the same thing in the state of Massachusetts. I know you know this when he was governor of Massachusetts, and they opposed that. So what, well, what's your alternative? Nothing. They have. They don't put any ideas out there again because, as you pointed out, they see their success based on these frivolous cultural wars they keep perpetuating. They keep pushing. So as long as they got the culture wars working for them, they don't have to come up with any ideas at all. So I, I can't even engage them as a serious political party. Well, I mean, again, if you look at the if you look at the the ideology of conservatism. And the base word of conservatism meaning conserve, meaning traditional. Uh, again, I, I I do see some. I do see them being able to capitalize on the the extreme the, um, with the progressive agenda to to so radically redefine families and to embrace the larger LGBTQ uh, agenda and, and and make it mainstream. You know. That as a as a as a as a recovering Christian, <laughs> or I'll say I'll say as a recovering Baptist. How about that? As a recovering Baptist, uh, you know, having grown up and 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 being in that very legalistic, very religious, very arcane type of thinking, I can un- I understand how Republicans can manipulate people using those types of issues and. The progressives, the progressive left, is not tolerant of the amount of time realistically it takes for a society to to evolve to become more inclusive, and in so doing, they are they are they are inadvertently giving giving license or giving you know kind of proving the the Republican the conservatives points. When they say, "Hey, we've got to do, we've got to embrace everybody. We've got to make this change right now, overnight," and then the conservatives can say, "See, they don't care about you. They don't respect your opinion. That's why you can't trust them. That's why you got, you know, millions of people believing QAnon is real, and that, you know, the Demo- the Democrats are 
killing babies and drinking their blood and that they're pedophiles. Because once you can convince a group of people that someone is, is, is evil, mm. then it's a short step to, to, com- to convince them or, or accuse them of anything. So, you know, we've got to be, we've got to be cognizant of, of how long it takes. It'll be just, you know, you and I are both parents. If, if I went home and, and asked my five-year-old to read War and Peace, that, that would be, you know, that wouldn't be, uh, that wouldn't be commensurate with their reading level, perhaps at five or six. So you've got to, you know, you've got to let people, you've got to meet people where they are and then bring them along if your concern is the greater good and having as large of an inclusive agenda as possible. All right, fair enough. But you still don't want to sell out your, uh, your, your principles, your goals, the things that you really believe in. So, you know, that was my issue with uh, a gay marriage. Uh, I remember I've talked about this on the show many times, may have talked about it with you already. If you go back and look at the 2008 vice presidential debate, uh, Sarah Palin and Joe Biden, and the issue of gay marriage came up, Joe Biden declared, just boldly declared that the Obama administration would be against gay marriage. He says that you can go and find that clip. Sure. And, and, and they were following your advice. They were saying, we're not going to ignite a culture war. We're getting out of this one. They've worked, I guess they work from the assumption that everybody who is for gay marriage uh, would be so repulsed by the John McCain, Sarah Palin ticket. They would vote for Barack Obama anyway. Sure. Uh, So they could afford politically not to alienate any folks in the middle or on the the fringes of the Republican Party might vote for them, following your advice. But if you were a gay rights activist or if you were just a human rights activist like myself, I'm not diluting my support for gay marriage. If I believe gay marriage is the thing to do, I'm not going to pull my support for gay marriage. And I would expect on a local level in my uh, ward or my legislator's district my aldermen and state reps would support it. Don't you think that's the right approach to take for activists? I think that activism is, is serves the point, serves the appropriate role that it does, and that's ultimately why we evolved to where we are. During a lot of people don't know this, during the civil rights, uh, during the sixties, during the, the height of civil rights, the gay agenda wanted to be included with Martin Luther King. They were telling, hey, Martin Luther King, like, hey, you're going out there and you're talking about uh, black people and you're talking about minorities and you're talking about, uh, you know, this country being a war machine. and You're talking about all these other things. We need to talk about the gay agenda also. And the civil rights community made the decision that during the 60s that they couldn't include the gay agenda at that time. It was too much. They were they were like, hey, we've got enough on our plate just getting people to accept black people. We can't talk about gay people right now. We'll, we'll table that and we'll come back to that later. So, but, that, but again, that was the appropriate thing to do at the time. Had they, had they included the, the, gay, the larger gay agenda and the civil rights discussion during the 60s, the entire movement would have been destroyed. Wow. Because, and, that, and that's just the fact. Now, whether that's good, bad, right, wrong, whatever, that's the reality of where America was in 1960. I can tell you, uh, in addition to that, uh, from having interviewed some of, uh, well, in particular, James Bevel, the late James Bevel, their at, his attitude about gay rights was so antediluvian and whacked out uh, that it was more than just a, a strategic decision, if you follow me. It was also uh, what I would call a really weird 
personal uh, decision. We'll move that ahead. By the way, I move that to the side. The same thing could be said about uh, Martin Luther King and the war in Vietnam. Martin Luther King gave that famous speech in 1967 at Riverside Church in New York City where he denounced the war in Vietnam, and he was trashed, trashed David Seaton by a lot of people in this country, a lot of Democrats. Lyndon Johnson was upset. Hubert Humphrey was upset. Uh, and some people in the civil rights community you know, Dr. King, you should stick to civil rights. You should not talk about foreign affairs. You should not talk about the war. So it was a really tough time for Martin Luther King across the board. I mean, and we're seeing the same thing happen right now with attacks on LeBron James, that he's not speaking out against the human rights in China. And the accusation is, oh, you're not going to speak out because the NBA is making money in China right now. So you're not going to say anything. And he's been attacked because of that. But you go back to the 60s. Muhammad Ali said, I'm not going to war in Vietnam. Not, nobody over there did anything to me. And he was willing to put his livelihood and his reputation on the line and actually go to jail. And that's the difference between, you know, perhaps a, Martin, a, a, a Muhammad Ali and a LeBron James, is that LeBron James isn't willing to, to go to the mat and, and say that what I believe is universally applicable to everyone. And, and this is me speaking, just me. I don't know if you're going to agree with what I'm about to say. I'll say it and we'll see if you agree. That's why there's only one Muhammad Ali. That's right. why Muhammad Ali is the greatest of all time. It's not that he fought for, I mean, I'm a boxing fan, David. I could go on and on. He fought for so many decades. So many different generations of heavyweights came up and he fought. He changed his style. In the end, he was doing the rope but getting pounded on the ropes. I was begging him, please, Muhammad Ali, retire. You're going to pay a price. I mean, they were, those last fights, Larry Holmes, oh my goodness, he's getting pounded. It, it wasn't because of that. It was because he did put it all on the line and he, he was willing to walk away. And it's almost like you cannot expect that from everybody. That's just a universal standard that's beyond most people. That's my take. What's your take? Agreed. Agreed. Unfortunate, fortunately or unfortunately, I mean, again, you can look at someone like LeBron James and say that all of the good that he is able to do is an extension of his wealth that he's able to accumulate by being an NBA star. You could, but you could also, you know, you could also look at LeBron James and say, hey, Michael Jordan or, uh, or uh, Shaquille O'Neal, post-basketball, they've made orders of magnitude more money leveraging their celebrity than they did, you know, from the actual sport. So, I, but, but at the end of the day, I, I'm not in a position to tell LeBron James what he should or should not do with regards to his livelihood. I, I I would venture to say that if I were if I was in LeBron James shoes and I had to say eh, I'm going to continue my livelihood or I'm going to put it on the line for some for a bunch of people in China, eh, I'm probably going to say eh, I'm more concerned about the schools that I can open up in Cleveland for African Americans kids or I'm more concerned about what I can do for African Americans or for uh, underserved individuals socioeconomically in this country. And I'm a, I would probably say, let China figure that, figure themselves out. Uh, by the way, just a, a slight correction, Akron, not Cleveland, was where the school was. Akron. But uh, I, I will say this. You, we, this was not on our list of topics. When we, I, I told you we would go off. <laughs> this is one of my... Uh, people on the right 
who criticized LeBron James for not taking a stand on China are the biggest frauds. Well, biggest, that's, they are frauds. I can't, think of, I can't think of one of them, whoever took a stand on anything that would jeopardize their pay. When has Sean Hannity ever taken a freaking stand on anything that would upset his base audience? When has he ever taken a stand on anything that would upset his patron, Donald Trump? None of them have ever taken a stand that would hurt them either financially or in terms of their job, in terms of their stature and standing. They only say what it is that people want to hear them say. So now they want LeBron James and Steve Kerr and all the other people in the NBA to take a stand against their boss, Adam Silver, and the other owners, and all the business deals that they're making with China to bring in lots of money to the NBA. Oh, they want them to take a stand. I'll tell you, Sean Hannity, I'll believe you want to take LeBron James to take a stand about human rights abuses in China when you take a stand on anything. It's just one stand. No, but they're all too chicken. And we talked about this already, David. You can't get one Republican to vote for that, the Joe Biden's COVID bill, which will help millions and millions of Republican voters, but they want LeBron James, <laughs> they want LeBron James to jeopardize his fortune exactly. taking a stand. In China. So what a bunch of frauds is what I got to say. Your thoughts? No, I, I agree with you 100%. Again, it, I mean, all the NBA is doing and, and the players by extension are doing what America has done in China for the last 60 years. I mean, if anyone, if anyone was looking at, if anybody who is a Trump supporter, if you're listening to this, if you are a farmer, you should hate Donald Trump. Donald Trump, in less than four years, by his foolish misguided tariff attempt destroy the supply chains that American agribusiness took decades to build so they could sell their soybeans and sell their goods into China. He destroyed it in four years and then subsidized it with taxpayer money. And then they want to, they want to, you know, bark against socialism. That's the very definition of socialism is when you take tax money and give it to industry to subsidize the money that they're not making in the private market. So they're just, they're just hypocrites across the board. Uh, I'm with you 100% on that one. And don't get me started on Rupert Murdoch and all his support for China down through the years, who the man who owns Fox TV, who's using his, talk about a hypocritical, uses Fox to blast LeBron James, who has basically the same stand he has on China. All right, let's move away from uh, China and talk about the royal family. Uh, you suggested this as a topic. We've not discussed the interview uh, that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle uh, gave to Oprah, which aired, uh, was it Sunday? I've lost track of the days. I think it was Sunday night. Don't quote me, David. Anyway, it recently aired. Uh, and uh, you had a very interesting take uh, on the interview that you gave me a, a snippet of before uh, we went on the air. Why don't you share it with the listeners? Go ahead. I, I'm just confused. I, I, I really, really am. I, I I saw part of the interview and I saw some recaps of the interview and Oprah Winfrey was talking to Megan Merkel and she was talking about how there were conversations with her about how her son wasn't going to get protection as a, and he wasn't going to be given a title as part of the Royal family. And, and all of this seems to be surrounded by, by their, they're concerned about, you know, how dark the, the son would be and not wanting to have uh, you know, have someone who wasn't, 
100% white in the royal family. And, and, and Oprah was just mortified. She was just aghast that, that, a, that a monarchy that has been 100% white for the last 1,200 years would bring up, would find it objectionable to have a, 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 a child or, or an heir to the throne that's one, one quarter African American. I, I, I mean, what do we, what do we expect? This is, I mean, again, it's, it, there was a span of, of at least a millennium where the, where the royals married their cousins so they could keep the, the, all of the, the, the wealth inside the family. This is this is this is the this is what we're talking about. And now, if we want to have the larger conversation that needs to be had here, so lest lest we as Americans generally and African Americans specifically get sidetracked by the royal family taking an exception to uh, a person who is one-fourth African-American being an heir to the throne. That's not the larger issue. The issue here is that in the 21st century, we should be talking about the anachronism of monarchies. We should be talking about how we can, what we should be doing as a, as a human race and as a society to deconstruct and to abolish Monarchy, the, the very idea that you are somehow specially chosen of all the billions of people on the planet by God and that you have this royal bloodline and that only your children and your and, the, and your progeny have access to a to a, what at this point in the 21st century is nothing more than a ceremonial figurehead in, in the UK. And that's monarchies across the world. But that's the larger issue that we should be talking about. And if we reduce this story to a conversation about race. It, it's it's going to it's going to hurt the larger conversation about race. Number one, but number two, it's going to distract us from the larger conversation about the anachronism of monarchy. That was a great riff. Can't argue with anything you said. You made a few other points before the show uh, talking about monarchies uh, in Africa, which of course led me to say, uh, "Have you seen the movie Coming to America?" My favorite African monarchy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you've seen the movie, correct? I have. Uh, so uh, uh, your your uh, re- review two thumbs up one thumb up uh, a must see uh, as good up. as two thumbs, two thumbs up. up two thumbs up uh, again and I'm and I'm saying this as an African American when is the le- I don't I think you would have to go back to the original coming to America to see a movie with that budget. An all black cast, but the only uh, the only person in it was Louis Anderson that was in the first one and in the second one. Uh, the money that was spent on the production, the costumes, the acting, the the whole the whole uh, the, just the actors and the actresses who were in the movie. I mean, this coming to America one and two are the movie versions of the Cosby Show. They 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 they, they show the, the they are the paragon of African-American excellence in filmmaking and that you have this original story. So for people to criticize the movie and saying that it was predictable or it's, 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 what else, what other, I mean, the the story is almost, I, 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 you know, again, I I thought it was an excellent movie and it's, and it's another gem in the body of work that is Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I I'm with you hundred percent. I'm a huge fan of Eddie Murphy. And so now I'm going to throw this at you. And I did not prepare you for this. So you're unprepared. So you're on thin ice right here. I love the impromptu conversation. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Without talking, without dodging, I want you, David Seaton, to name the three 
greatest Eddie Murphy movies of all time. Go. Coming to America, number one. Boomerang. Boomerang is definitely on the top three. And I would say the third movie from Eddie Murphy, I would say Trading Places. Wow. All right. I have to go with uh, number three, Boomerang, which is really a John Witherspoon movie, but I'm giving it as an Eddie Murphy movie. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, sorry, Dolomite. Love that movie. We've seen it three times. Just came out last year. And number one, this one is, I, I don't know. I think, I don't know if it bombed at the box office. I think it's called Life. Yes. A yes. Unbelievable stretch by Eddie Murphy yes. uh, and Martin Lawrence. I mean, just like acting stretch, playing guys who from their 20s to their 70s. Yes. I've, I think Life is really one of the. I don't know when it came out, but I, it, no, it, it ranked. Was the, it, was in the, it was in the early 90s when it came out. Um, I would Life and, uh, and uh, Trading Places, to me, are the, are the best movies that Eddie Murphy did that made a social commentary about the inequality that, that exists in this country. And, and because he did it with, with, with uh, such comedic, uh, uh, he did it with a comedic flair, but but again, you never lost the actual undertone of, of the story that was being told. Yeah. So, but it, but again, coming to America, like I said, because of just the production value, the the, the worth that that movie has to the to the African American experience in film. Uh, like I said, it, it, the the first one was so groundbreaking. Uh, you know, when you go and you read articles, they 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 tell you that that Eddie Murphy was told by the studios, you have to have at least one white person in this movie. <laughs> you know, he was trying to make an all black, tell an all black story. And that's how Louis Anderson got in the first and second one, uh, second uh, movie. So, uh, but again, coming to America, like I said, trading places, and like I said, Boomerang, one of my old to all time. I remember watching that movie in the movie theater and, and I was watching it with my girlfriend at the time. And I was on, I was up laughing during the whole movie and it was all couples in there and all the guys were afraid to laugh at the joke <laughs> and I was just dying laughing because uh, yeah it's a great movie it, it really stands the test of time I watched it within the last year uh, and uh, I think after John Witherspoon died I went on I started watching all his movies uh, and folks it just stands the test of time it's hilarious and it I, yeah, I love it. Uh, by the way, uh, the coming to America. Wait, the whole John Witherspoon scene in Boomerang. I don't yeah. know. Sure, maybe you know this, but they had finished filming the movie, and they said we need another scene in here. They went and got John Witherspoon. He just went into the the little trailer, found something to put on, and that that entire scene is ad lit. Is just completely ad lit yeah. around John Witherspoon. Improv. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. He um, extraordinary moment and uh, great talent. And and give Eddie Murphy credit, saw it, respected it, promoted it, put it out front. He he respected the the people who came before him. You know what I mean? And uh, he didn't act like. Harlem Knights, another great one, where you had three generations of black comedians with Red Fox, uh, 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 Eddie Murphy, and um, uh, um, (laughs) everybody. I just lost my black card because I can't remember. Uh, the, the third comedian, the, the guy who played his father 
in um in in uh, Harlem Nights. I have to look it up. Uh, now I got to look it up too. Yeah. Uh, Harlem Nights. I just remember Della Reese in that movie. Anyway, um, so. I urge everybody uh, to check out uh, Boomerang. It's still it's Richard Pryor. Richard, yeah, how in the hell could I forget Richard Pryor? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we'll just edit that out of the podcast. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> we'll s- spare everybody <laughs> that embarrassment. Yeah, I could, now I see the visual of Richard Pryor with the hat right. and right. Uh, the jacket and the right. cane. And the, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, David Seaton, it's a blast talking to you. I appreciate it. Before you go, tell folks uh, one more time uh, how they can check out your show with the great Atiba Buchanan, who's also a, a dear friend of, of my show. Go ahead. Absolutely. You can catch our shows on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago on Friday nights, 9 PM to midnight. And don't forget to go to SeatonSpeaks.com. That is my blog and go there. You'll see we I post audio, uh, we, we do a lot of political talk, technology, travel, a lot of great information on my blog. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, David, for making time for us. I really appreciate it. That's the great David Seaton. D, you got any updates for us before you get in that little uh, hot rod Ferrari of yours and head south to Alton, Illinois? Taking the train. Uh, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're getting a ride. No, I'm, no? Get, I'm getting a ride. I'm getting a ride. All right. Remember, everybody, uh, we don't have no updates, by the way. Uh, kind of a slow news day going on today. So uh, we're going to ride out a little early here. Remember, though, you can become a binhead. Are you a binhead? It's what we call avid listeners of our program these days. Yes, you can help the Ben Jarofsky show. Go to chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. There's three options you have here on becoming a Ben Head and Wayne. And ways that you can help out the Ben Jarofsky show. Three ways here. Way number one, you can be in the Alley membership. That's right. A bin head at the Alley membership level will get you a subscription to the Chicago Reader newsletter. Uh, it's $5 a month or $60 a year. An Avenue member, the second tier, become a bin head at the Avenue level, and you will be subscribed to the Chicago Reader newsletter, and you'll get a $10 discount on Ben Jarofsky's brand new book it's called the greatest hits covering 40 years of chicago journalism from the ver- from our very own ben jarofsky uh, that's ten dollars a month the avenue level or 120 dollars a year and the boulevard you can be on benny boulevard become a bin head at the boulevard level and you will be subscribed to the chicago reader newsletter you will get a copy of ben jarofsky's new book yeah you get the book and that's twenty dollars a month or 240 dollars a year uh become a bin head subscribe uh to the chicago reader and help out the ben jarofsky show yeah thank you there that brown line is pretty loud today uh and that's all we ask of you all right so like i said tomorrow i'm hopefully going to be able to hook everything up all my audio and we will be doing a show hopefully from downstate illinois we'll see how it goes yeah, I'm, this is just sort of a test run because I've been saying to Dennis, you know, when I get that vaccine, we're going to do take the show on the road. And uh, the heart of mamas have already said, yeah, yeah, call on out to the sticks. Come on out. We'll do it. Well, <laughs> they don't actually they do kind of call it the sticks now. Uh, and uh, so uh, so this will be a test run if it works. Dennis will be down in beautiful Alton, Illinois, uh, hanging out with the cool people. And I will be in my attic. And we'll see if it works. I'm really hoping. Come on, make it work. Uh, in the meantime, that's our show for today. I want to thank David Seaton. He did an outstanding job, as he always does. And, of course, the man with the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The man will be hopping in on that little red Ferrari of his in about 15 minutes, 45 minutes, and zipping south. 
Yes, yes, where he'll be greeted by thousands and thousands of Altonians who call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. If all goes well, we'll see you tomorrow. Let it prick. The enemy. Big problem. That is correct. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. That is correct. The enemy is you. That big is correct. problems is you. become big problems when you let small problems sit.